Whoa, it is so <laughs> hot. It is quite toasty. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to What a Movie, a nostalgia-infused podcast. We are your hosts. I'm a very toasty James Ferrero. And I am a very toasty, very sweaty Nicole Knudsen. <laughs> That's right, folks. It's toast and sweat here at the What a Movie Command Center tonight in uh, this beautiful September evening. Uh, we are... In the middle of a heat wave that has lasted over a week now that still has not broken. Um, it is very hot in Los Angeles and it is very hot in our Although apartment. it is on the downturn, I will say. It is. It is slowly, very slowly, getting cooler. The weather app said it was supposed to break on Saturday and it hasn't uh, as of Sunday evening. It hasn't so much broken as much as sort of gently been massaged, which is not enough. Um, beyond the fact that we're so tired of being so warm, uh, how are we doing? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Um, yeah, it's just been a busy, busy time of the year. Lots of work, lots of projects happening, which is all, all sorts of fun. Um, I've been patrolling the fantasy football pages all day today, um, which has been fun for any of you fantasy footballers out there you understand what i'm talking about but uh yeah all uh, is good james how, how many fantasy leagues are you in i did not come on this podcast to be attacked nicole but uh are you gonna answer the question i might be in six leagues as well as a separate point spread thing with another person but that's neither here nor there <laughs> the good news is is i'm doing okay so far that's great um, How are you doing? How uh, are your fantasy teams doing? <laughs> uh, I have exactly zero fantasy teams. Um, I don't care about sports at all. But you um, know what she does, folks? She does sit and watch it sometimes with me, I even do. though I know she has no interest in it. But she likes know, to sit and watch like, it with me sometimes, a, and it's very nice. I have like a passing knowledge of a, enough about football to be able to follow the game. She's seen a pass thrown once or twice. I mean, I was also a cheerleader in high school, so I, I it was literally my job as a cheerleader to know things about the game. The top cheerleader of the Central California area. Uh, no, incorrect. Um, but I'm I'm doing good. Um, I was blessedly able to escape the first few days of this giant heat wave. Ah, uh, yes. Because uh, my D and D group and I went to a a house that we rented out in Big Bear. Uh, where it was much cooler, and we finished up our five-year campaign, which is wild, and it was so much fun. I only cried a little bit, um, but uh, it was a great time, and it's still very weird that it's over. <laughs> it's probably not going to hit for a few weeks, I would think. Mm -hmm. um, also, I started wearing anti-blue light glasses, and they're a game changer. Um, if you look at screens a lot, which you probably do if you're listening to a podcast um get them they, they really help. are amazing they help so much i'm wearing them right now to just to like glance over at the computer screen also because they look very trendy and fun yes um but that's how i'm doing uh for the folks who did not read the episode title what movie are we watching today oh well now that we're out of dragon monster month of august we are <laughs> switching over to bizarre animated 90s movies that are not Disney. Um, but they might not be ones that you would think of first. And so starting this month off, we are starting off with, from 1993, Once Upon a Forest. Wow! <laughs> which if you're anywhere close to our age, um, early 30s, you probably grew up with this movie in some way and forgot about it 
until this moment when mm-hmm. you went, oh, I think I might have seen that when I was a kid. It was just on all the time. Or if you uh, were me and my family, we owned this on VHS in the clamshell case. You had the clamshell of this? Yes. This was, ah. uh, this was a purchased film in the official plastic cl- uh, clamshell casing. The clamshell casing, that, that helps you know that this was an investment. This was a we want mm-hmm. this forever because VHS will never die. Yeah, and this was, uh, I think, on a pretty high rotation as far as non-Disney films went. Hmm. Well, perfect. Shall I dive into... This already leads into our uh, first question. Yeah, I will kick off a Nostalgic Connections. Um, Yeah, I I remember a lot of this movie very clearly uh, because I think we watched it a lot. It was... um, It's one of those movies where I don't know if it was ever, like, my favorite movie, but it was definitely held in high enough regard that it would be put on a lot because uh, I know I've talked about in other episodes uh, of this podcast that like growing up I was very much into like the uh, the animated films that featured animals as the main character I wasn't as big on like stories about people or humans I should say but if it was you know a cute little critter running around uh, I was much more uh likely to be invested that's all this movie is is cute critters running around exactly there's like a couple of people who show up and some are not great and some are actually helpful uh to our cute little critter uh protagonists and uh yeah that that's my connection uh in a nutshell um it, it watched it a lot i don't think i saw this in theaters I feel like this might have come out when I was a little too young to be going to the movies. 93, so yeah, you would have been about two. I would have been, uh, depending on the four. time of year, one or two. So yeah, this was a little, I was a little too young. I thought you were going to say, depending if you could get a ride. I'm like, as a two-year-old, you're like, hey, mom, dad, no. can I get a ride down to the Cineplex? No, though my mom has told the story of um, how for, for her birthday, I, quote, took her to go see Aladdin in the movie theater. That's really cute. Um, for her birthday. Or maybe your mom really wanted to see Aladdin. Maybe. I don't know. But I would have been very young when that happened. But you fronted the, what would have been like, uh, you know, eight bucks, 12 bucks for the two of you to go see a movie. You'd be mm-hmm. like, Ma, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> got to start pulling my Where, weight in this family. Where'd you get that money, two-year-old Nicole? In the couch. Honestly, don't. that would have been like it. <laughs> Mom, it's not important where I got the money. I got you a nice gift, okay? Uh, you I'm two years be, old. You deserve to be treated to a nice day out. As a two-year-old, I can see that because I respect you, Mom. Why am I suddenly from Brooklyn? I don't know. Maybe this isn't Oak Grove the Brooklyn of California? No. Uh, anyway, what is your nostalgic connection to this movie? Uh, well, I also grew up with this. I don't think we ever owned it. We definitely didn't have the clamshell of it. I feel like it was taped off the TV and was on like a VHS at some point because I do remember it was in rotation, probably not as heavy as it was for y'all, but like I do remember seeing it enough times that I remembered it pretty distinctly and it was always like, yeah, it was always fine. It was always like a fine one to put on. I enjoyed it just fine. It wasn't like, I don't think there was ever a time like I really was like, you know what I'm feeling today? I really want to watch Once Upon a Forest. But yeah, it was, it, it just, it is a very... It, it struck in a very indelible chord in my brain as just being like a part of growing up. It's just one of those things. It's kind of what we talked about with uh, with Ferengali for me. It was the same thing. Like that one was like a, on a more heavy rotation than this was. But like that is like, I, it just, yeah, growing up. Growing up in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Also just 
environmentalism movies in the 90s. Yep. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how well do we think we remember the plot? Oh, I would say like a, like a six and a half for this one. I remember it pretty well. Yeah, I think, I think I'm around that as well, like six to a seven, which I uh, guess okay. would be six and a half. Yeah, between six um, and seven, what, what do we got there? There are certain things that I remember very, very clearly, and I remember mm. like the main kind of the main beats of the plot and the main sort of through line of the film. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of stuff in the middle that I do, I do not remember. Mm. Honestly, as I'm thinking about it now, there are certain scenes that are coming back to me and I'm like, oh yeah, that happens. Um, Actually, yeah, I'm thinking about it now. I remember the beginning very clearly and I remember the ending sort of clearly, but everything that happens in the middle. Mm. Um, since we're basically at the same number for how well we think we remember it do we want a tag team doing a recap yeah, do we want to, or do, do we want to just give like a baseline this is what happens and then we'll get into details in the in the second part of today's program well, let's let's try to do like a a, a back and forth recap we don't okay. have to get into like great detail but yeah. just what we can remember um we are following all of these woodland critters there's like a a hedgehog and a like a mole and uh uh what is abigail she like a chipmunk like a or chipmunk something? or a squirrel or something um it's all these like you know precocious little animal kids um and they like go to school with a mr cornelius who is a badger and he has like his little niece who's named michelle um, and they're, you know, he's teaching them the ways of the forest and you have to be careful of humans because they're bad news. Um, but they're trying to find who the mole is. <laughs> it's Edgar. Edgar's the mole. Kill him. Yeah. I, I think his name is Edgar. He's a mole. Edgar Russell sounds is, like a mole name. Yeah. Uh, Russell is the hedgehog and then Abigail is the chipmunk question mark. Um, but, uh. Things go very wrong very early on because there's a, a really bad toxic chemical spill that uh, just straight up murders Michelle's parents. It's Hexus. And it severely poisons Michelle. Um, would you like to? Yeah, I mean, you just covered most of what I remembered. Okay. Um, yeah, so Michelle gets poisoned but does not die because then the movie would be over. Um, our woodland critters are told by Cornelius that there is a an antidote that they must go find for that he has that they have to bring back or ingredients that he has they have to bring back so he can like you know make the proper antidote for her to save her life because you know he's got like a little like mashing kit or something you know like they always have in these movies. You mean a mortar and pestle. There you go a little mashing mashy thing a little mashy mashy. <laughs> he, gets the, he gets the herbs inside and goes mashy mashy here's, here, here's the medicine. Here you go that's what they always do in these movies. They just go murk, 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 and then they just kind of like feed it to you and then they just take like one lick and they're like I'm cured. Yeah that tool set is called a mortar and pestle. I'm sure it is. Um, Weren't they like a country duo in the 60s? Mortar and pestle? No? Think of someone else? I, Anywho, I can't tell if you're joking or not. So they they go, all right, we'll go off on our big city whirlwind adventure to go find these ingredients. Except not the city. They're just in the woods and the forest. And they they end up on a balloon at some point. There's a storm. Of course, of course there is. There has to be peril. 
Um, Cornelius. There's a, there's a lot of peril. There's a lot of peril. I mean, if, if, if it's a kids' movies in the in the '90s and there's an adventure element to it, there must be peril, extreme peril at all times. Um, yeah, there's like a yeah, there's a storm in there. Cornelius like sings a song to Michelle because it's Michael Crawford doing Cornelius. <laughs> so, which oh yeah, I guess he was also Cornelius in Hello Dolly. So a lot of Cornelius going on here, and we're not talking about Cornelius from Thumbelina. This is Badger Cornelius. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they had to give him a song. Um, they run into other woodland creatures, you know, I'm sure. I, I, I remember there was, like, one, like, jerk mouse or something who's like, ah, oh, you can't do that. That'll never happen. They're like, yeah, we'll show you. And then they do, and it's like, ah, fuck I you, jerk I, mouse. Yeah, I think a lot of that. Maybe, wait, is Abigail a mouse? Because I think it's, like, oh, some yeah. of her fellow yeah, she is a mouse. mouse uh, fellow, fellow mouse, fellow mice, fellow, and uh, fellow mice, <laughs> mice, um, and it's like, no, you're. I think there's a not so subtle, or maybe it might just be fully blatant element of like, you're a girl, you can't do this. Oh, they would say you're a traitor to your race of mice. No. Oh, but yes. Oh yeah, that, it was the '90s, so it had to be like, what a good girl, you can't do this. You can't get out of here. Um. Yeah, what are some other moments of peril that I remember? There's like I, a really freaky owl that almost eats them. Um, they This isn't Secret of Nim, I promise. They have to make their way through a construction site, which they call the Land of the Yellow Dragons, which wow, honestly you, is like... I don't remember that at all. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I do remember one very, very terrifying moment, actually, where I think it's like um, at some... Yeah, it's like, what is it? Uh, it's Edgar, right? Edgar uh-huh. the Mole. Um, is like trying to escape from like something and like I just remember like I think like he gets his clothes ripped off so then he's just like a naked mole which is just even more sad does that make him a naked mole rat though? you would almost think so except uh, not quite no um, but it's just it, it, it makes the peril even worse because you're like oh now he's like this scared little mole but now he's a scared little naked mole and, like, in a I, cage in a ca- and, I, and I feel even even worse now yeah. um, all this to say they eventually find their ingredients for said antidote. They get back, and Cornelius is able to mash it in the mortar and pestle, I guess, whatever, whatever that's called. <laughs> He's able to go mashy-mashy, gives it to Michelle, and Michelle is like, I live, only to find out that her parents are dead. But we're not going to get into that, because she's living with her Uncle Cornelius. Yeah. Uncle um, like, Grandpa? Or maybe? Grandpa Cornelius. I, I don't know. He He's an elder of some kind. Great Uncle um, there's also um Elder Cornelius. It seems like you don't remember this, so I don't want to say too much, but there uh, is a um a bird like gospel choir. Whoa. Whoa, there is. Wow, you and just it's, you just opened it's up really a, a memory. dark. That whole scene, it winds up being okay cuz again, kids movie, but just like the whole premise is like like that, what the fuck? That sounds very familiar, and even the darkness sounds very familiar now. Okay, I'm excited for this. Um, and anyway, that is what we remember. Well, you know, <laughs> from what's what I first. always say: if there's a bird gospel choir, sign me up. I have never seen a bird gospel choir I didn't like in a movie. What other bird gospel choirs have you seen? Uh, I'm sure I'll think of something. <laughs> I think it's time for nostalgia-infused grades. Okay. Why don't you start us off? I think I'm going to give this a nostalgia-infused B. B? Yeah. It mm. seems like a a B-level film as far as like how frequently we watched it 
and like how much I remember. Clearly, I remember a lot of this, which I'm honestly kind of shocked by. But um, yeah, a B. B. All right. I will give this a nostalgia grade of a B minus. I will say a B minus. Um, yeah. I, once again, yeah, it was on. I remember thinking it was perfectly fine, but I think because I didn't actively seek it out a lot and I wasn't like ever craving it and remembering it and all that. I don't know. It's like, yeah, I'll give it a B minus. I don't need to explain myself. Yeah. I help run this podcast. These I are all arbitrary anyway. Um, Everything's made up and the grades don't matter. Yep. Uh, cool. So if this is the first time you are joining us on this show. Uh, Why are you just now joining us? We've missed you. Please go back and listen to our other episodes. Uh, hello and welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Um, this is the point in our program where we pause recording. We go rewatch the movie uh, today, as we've been discussing. It is Once Upon a Forest. And then we will come back and actually go through the plot and uh, discuss it at greater detail. Before we do that... Um, we and we will end with our revised grades yes. after viewing it. Um, but before we do that, uh, we usually like to partake in uh, usually an adult beverage, but sometimes just a regular beverage and or a snack uh, during these rewatches. James, do you know what you will be uh, partaking in? I might partake in a salty crew blonde ale, because what better way to bring in a movie about environmentalism in the forest than a beer called Salty Crew. <laughs> Arr. Arr. And all the pirates in this movie. Wait, no, there are pirates in this movie. I'm like, trying to remember pirates. if they... I feel like they sky make rips. that that flying contraption, like that hot air balloon that they... Mm-hmm. I feel like they cobble that together. Like a pirate. Do pirates cobble their ships together? Well, cobblers do. And I'm sure some cobblers, cobblers are, were pirates. Cobblers make shoes. But I'm sure there were pirates at some point. We're getting wildly off topic. Um, wow. Wow. Whatever I have, it will be cold. And I will be chasing it with a lot of water because, again, it is very, very warm. There is that Chardonnay in the fridge. Yeah. It's either that or I will also have some of the salty crew blondale. And a, you know a blonde what? blonde for a blonde. But you know, I'm blonde, everybody, if you have never seen my face. And I um, was a blonde baby, so, you know, it sort of counts. And I was a brunette baby. And so then we, we swapped. swapped. She also had a beard. Mm-hmm. I was born with a full beard and dark hair. There you go. Yep. Also, I would say that this crew we're about to follow on their exploits is sort of a salty crew when you think about it. <laughs> uh, all right, you folks. Uh, we will be back momentarily to discuss the cinematic classic Once Upon a Forest. As we venture in to the forest. In all my six years <laughs> on this planet. Way to steal my joke right off the bat. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Were you going to say that? No. Uh, I'm but... sorry. I know. I, you, you, you did make, to, to be perfectly fair, you made that joke and it tickled me so much I almost spat my drink out. So I stole it. I apologize. Welcome back, everybody. We've just finished our rewatch of Once Upon a Forest. Oh, and what a tale Whoa. it is. What a, what a harrowing tale. But will our young heroes survive? 
Yes, because uh, even though we will straight up show two dead bodies on screen, we cannot kill our child heroes. Nope. Um, but it's not going to stop us from trying. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, shall we just dive straight into it? I feel we like... We might as well, yeah. Between the two of us, we remembered a lot. Um, you I, probably remember more than I do. I thought yes. that there was more to this movie than there was, but like, honestly, every beat that I remembered mm-hmm. was the whole movie. And I guess, and we'll get into this, but I guess it is a reminder of it. Say, it's a kid's movie and it is definitely aimed at like kids. Yeah. And you can tell in the running time and the story structure and like, that's not a criticism. That's just the reality of it's, yeah, like you said, it's very straightforward. The beats play themselves out and then it's done and you're like, oh. That's that's it. Yeah, I All thought right. that of like we talked a lot in the first section of this episode about like moments of peril that they encounter and I thought surely there are more. There are not. Every moment that I remembered, some of which I I know I said and I think others I withheld uh cuz you didn't remember them, but I'm like surely there's more to this movie. There is not. It is very simple. Surely there's something more than this. Which is not a criticism. It is exactly what it intends to be. Exactly. Um, Shall we get into it? Let's Uh, do it. Who wants to kick us off? Well, we start off in a forest, as you would imagine. Uh, This movie scored uh, by what a movie legend and standby, James Horner. Once again, I believe that's movie number eight um, that we've had... With our, with our dear friends. Probably the uh, the biggest realization of doing this show has been that James Horner, like, scored my entire childhood. And it makes a lot of sense. And honestly, with a movie like this that's like, you know, once again, perfectly fine for what it is, but it's a film that I feel is elevated so much by that soundtrack. And mm-hmm. that, like, this isn't necessarily one of the great soundtracks that he probably ever did. And you can definitely hear him like taking bits from his own, his older other soundtracks that were probably more well-regarded and recycling them here. And there's nothing wrong with that. But even James Horner's sort of like B material still is so great. It elevates this movie from being what probably would have been kind of forgettable to being something that you do remember, Mm -hmm. which I think you can make that argument for like all the stuff that he did. I also think that the fact that, uh, which was a shock to me that Hanna-Barbera was the production company behind this. And apparently, I looked this up, it was Hanna-Barbera's final theatrical release. Um, yeah, that what a, what a wild realization to learn as an adult. Did not know that going in, and as we'll discuss, you can kind of see it at times, some of the influence, but it's definitely, this ain't, this is not Huckleberry Hound, this is not top cat you know or anything like that so it's it's fascinating yeah there would be as you were just saying this movie is very much aimed at children Mm -hmm. however every once in a while there is either a line or a visual gag that is so funny which yes yes which which we will get into i would say especially pointed especially in the first half yeah granted the second half kicks in and it does become more like action-based and plot-based and like we have to do the thing to get to the thing to get to that there's not as much time for jokes but yeah. they really they get in some pretty clever jokes in, yeah. at the beginning because uh because hey remember in the second half of the film our friend is dying and if we don't do this she is going to die we'll get into it they're some of the most forgetful children you'll ever see <laughs> uh but they're animal children and they have very small brains 
yet they can build a plane in an afternoon. I, you know, they contain multitudes. They they, they do contain <laughs> multitudes. That is fair. Sorry, I almost immediately interrupted your case. No, 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 that's okay. Blood. That's okay. Um, basically, we start in a forest and we meet the first of our protagonists, young Abigail the Mouse, who, you know... Who is definitely a mouse and not a chipmunk is, or a squirrel. Is, definitely not a squirrel. We'll get to that. Oof, yikes. Um... But she's, you know, in a tree overlooking, like, the forest, you know, and that very much the there must be more than this provincial life sort of way. Mm -hmm. Until we find her father calling for her, voiced by Paul Eiding. Hey, Paul. Hi, Paul. <laughs> um, and, so we, and then we establish that she's late for class with Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? Well, we'll get there momentarily. Michael Crawford the Badger. And we will go into him, but first we have to meet our other... Heroes of the story, we meet Russell the Hedgehog in this large family, so large his mother doesn't even know who she's talking to. And it's like, no, you're not Russell, he's in class. And, and then Russell's like, like oh, oh shit, I, should, I needed to leave for class. I didn't do my homework, no. And he goes, roll it out, and we establish, like, Abigail's the kind of the dreamer of the group. Russell is the kind of she, like, the, you know. the spunky, adventurous uh, tomboy. Russell's going to join a frat when he gets to college. Mm -hmm. Not because he wants to, but because he thinks that's how he's going to be cool and, you know, is going to have a horrible time. Um, and then we meet Edgar. Who's very, by and the book, he's very cautious. He's got little um, spectacles because he's a mole, so we can't see. So he's got, he's got little specs. Yeah, and he, this he's becomes very important. He, he is running late because his mom is fussing over him and he doesn't give her a kiss goodbye. And this becomes and you, very, very sad. And you know that something's up when they leave. He also has a Doctor Who scarf. Which is fantastic. <laughs> he runs off and she's like, well, don't I get a goodbye kiss? And he's like, I'll kiss you when I get home. Which is immediately like, uh-oh. What if there's no home when you come back, though? We'll get to that. Uh, but you're right. It does lead to something very sad. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But then we get to, uh, apparently, when all, uh, all of the kids are called furlings. Which... Furlings. Honestly, I think it's pretty cute. <laughs> no, it's better than furries, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they couldn't do that, uh, even in 93. Um, but I guess all young children in this meadow, which, what is it called? Dapplewood? In Dapplewood, uh, are taught by Cornelius the Badger. And honestly, I would love being a part of this it class. Seems like a, it seems like a fun, legit class. It seems like the, the college professor that everyone wanted to be with because he's like, what are we doing in class today? We're going on a nature walk and we're going to learn about the woods. I like, want to learn. That sounds awesome. I want to learn how to make little flying machines and go on a ramble every day. That sounds awesome. Also, but here we meet Cornelius, Cornelius the Badger, but we also meet his niece, Michelle. Voiced by a young Elizabeth Moss. Peggy! Peggy is here as a child. We saw her name in the credits and we're like, well, one, how many Elizabeth Mosses are working in Hollywood? 
But her name is spelled differently in the credits of this movie. She spells her first name with an S instead of a Z, except in the credits it's spelled with a Z. So I was like, is this a different Elizabeth Moss? Because that could be like the workaround in SAG paperwork of like, Honestly, this is your yeah, stage maybe. name. Maybe it's... maybe at the time there was already an Elizabeth Moss and she had to go with a different one, but then she became the more famous Elizabeth Moss and was like, And they I'm worked something this, out, being probably. like, no, this is how I want my name spelled, which is how it's maybe. actually spelled. That's entirely possible. And actually thinking about the voice now, I know she's obviously much younger than she is when, we, when we've seen her more recently. But when you think about her voice, I can really hear it, though, now that I think about it. I, I guess I'm not as familiar with her voice because I haven't seen Mad Men. Um, but I... Or The Handmaid's I did, Tale. I or The Handmaid's Tale. I just, I have yet to be able to bring myself to watch that show. Um, having read the book and knowing the gist of what happens. Um... I, I remember thinking when we started it, being kind of impressed with the voice actor of Michelle. <laughs> having and like, why. like f- for a child actor to be like, oh, you're actually like imbuing a lot of personality into what is really a pretty small part. And it comes across a lot. You can see in the animation how they were able to work with that because they really do. It really sells the fact that like Michelle's the youngest of this group, you know, by far. And yeah, she has the most like curiosity and precociousness. And, you know, it's all like the little kid things of just like the tugging on his sleeve and the kind of like turning the foot. And it's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, it's like, and it's adorable, Mm -hmm. but you're like, oh, you're building up all of this adorableness because what we'll get to later is we have to build up something for you to be scared for when we get there. Yeah. Um, but we meet, we meet Michelle, we meet Cornelius and Cornelius, uh, what, what, what is Cornelius device? Also, he gets the best intro, I feel, for any character that I've seen recently where you don't see him. He's just behind all of these books and they're there and he's like, oh, like, you know, should we say anything? Like, like, let's, let's see if he needs any help. And without even like, you don't even see him, you just see his hand pop up and he's like, don't take another step. <laughs> and then we get to see Yeah, him. so Cornelius is, he's basically like a, a tinkerer. He's a scientist and he... um I get the sense that he has always been um, fascinated by flight. Uh, we learn this immediately, pretty much, because he's made a a small model of a flying contraption that a he calls flapper. it. Sorry, no, no, uh, you no, said. no, his flapper wingama thing. Because um, again, kids movie. Uh, but it's it's this. It's really cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you. I thought you were saying like you know kids movie because they couldn't call it something dirty. Like that's why it was like that. But I was like, no, no it's just like that. Yeah. No. Sorry, I did, you specified kids movie, and I was like, that's not dirty flapper wingama thing. No, it's like it's something ridiculous because it's okay. a kids movie. Okay. Uh, he creates this like scale model, this functional scale model of his flapper wigma thing, which is basically just like a half empty. <laughs> God damn it! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You just said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> We're talking about a children's film. I can't. Film. I just had to watch this whole movie that was literally in a gutter at one point. <laughs> um. Uh. What we talking about? Oh, the the scale model. It's. <laughs> It is the like the the cab of this flying machine is made out of a tiny little acorn. I will say that during the sequence, the scale of this thing, like the size scale, varied dramatically. Yeah, it like yeah. grew 
times five by the end of this sequence. It was going into like the cat's level of like, what is the scale of this? Yeah, oh my god. Um, but uh, yeah, he's showing it off and he's very excited, which I feel like Cornelius should have known better to show this to his students because they are... Monsters. They are a bunch of hooligans. Edgar is not, but Abigail and Russell are just agents of chaos. Mm-hmm. And they... I guess technically they don't ruin it. A book the best joke about in the movie. a book labeled Gravity falls off of a shelf and crushes this flying machine. And uh, that's, so that's one of those moments. That's one of those visual gags uh, in the like the first third of the movie where it, like got a genuine belly laugh from us. And it could have been like, they didn't need to do it either. It could have just been any book falls and then they go, oh no, and then they continue on. The fact that they took the, the time to show the title of the book and, you know, it being that great joke is just like a good little attention to detail that I was like, yeah, that's that, that's, that's great. Um, But uh, this day is very special because Cornelius has a surprise for them all on their ramble, which is just a walk through the woods. Um, that's all that it is. And, uh, he... Oh, I just, I just realized there's a and d reference in here. Is there? Not, like, specifically in the movie, but you could apply it to D&D, where, like, they break it. And they keep talking about this, like, well, there's a big surprise he's told us about. And then it gets crushed. And, of course, Cornelius is, like, not pleased about this. To which Russell says, I guess we ruined the big surprise, didn't we? To which Cornelius goes, no, you've ruined months and months of work. She's like, I, it just sounds like every DM, <laughs> just like arguing with like anyone. Yeah, his life's work, he has shown to these three children, or I guess four, because Michelle is there and is also an agent of chaos. Um, she's just in the movie yeah. less frequently. Although, um, to be fair, she's a little bit younger, so she kind of gets away with it because she's just like... yeah. Abigail and Russell should know better. They're, like, knocking furniture over. Books are falling off of shelves even before the gravity book crushes the flying machine. Um, But uh, they go on this ramble, and, you know, Cornelius is like, oh, and here's this willow tree, and what does willow bark do? And, oh, very good, Edgar, because you are the A student in this group. You're my favorite. Don't tell the others. But you Um, clearly are. Um. All of this to say... They're on their ramble, by the way. Yeah, they're on their ramble. And because Abigail and Russell are, like, in a a dumb kind of pissing contest. Like, it's like, you should... I'm tired of you leading. I want to lead. Well, you don't know where it's I'm a, going. Well, a, you don't know where I'm going. It's a pissing contest until in one frame it looks weirdly like it's one of those, like, when... Two kids are like kind of like, you know, when, when like two like younger kids are like, I kind of like you, but I can't show it. And so like they like tease them or like they like, you know, like and hassle it, them or something. And it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. They have a, they And I wouldn't have thought about it except they have a moment where like she like kind of like comes face to face with them and she kind of does this weird eye thing. And I was like, are they trying to establish that these two are like kind of have the hots for each other? It doesn't go anywhere. It's really no. weird. It's um, not necessary. This is only relevant because... As a result of their bickering, they wind up on a highway. Ah, yes. And this is the first of many near misses with death. Because <laughs> Russell almost gets run over by a car. He basically, the car goes over him. It's like, whoa! Yeah, but the the tires miss him. He is not crushed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the driver, who is probably driving drunk, throws an empty bottle out the window and... Most likely a Republican. It shatters. This will become important very soon. Um, and very much they're like, hey, hey. Th this becomes one of many instances where I'm like, Cornelius, just tell them the truth about the world. Because he's like, forget this place. You must never, you must never go there, Simba. Um... <laughs> <laughs> We also get, yeah, it's it's true. He's like, don't think about this. And also like, I will turn this car around if you don't take this ramble seriously. Yeah. Like he is very much about the ramble. Basically. And it was like, Cornelius hey, lives for the ramble. Hey, Russell, I'm so glad you're not dead. Um, I, I wish you would listen to me and would have gotten out of the road to which I wrote, what's a road in the voice of these characters to because clearly they've never seen it. Cornelius, what's a road? Like, it's just like, Jesus. Um... They continue on their ramble. The big surprise is a boat that Cornelius has made because, again, he's a tinkerer. He likes to make things. And, of course, uh, Abigail and Russell, who are fighting constantly, um, they capsize the boat. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, they do. Meanwhile, while all of that is going on, another car comes speeding down this highway. And it is a truck carrying toxic gas. And, oh, no. It runs over the strongest broken bottle in the world. These, like, the semi-trucks tires that, like, are huge. This broken bottle pierces and flattens the one of the tires on the truck. The driver loses control. It rolls off of the hill on, like, a curve. And something, probably a branch or a rock, has pierced the tank of... I repeat, toxic gas that it is carrying. The driver emerges from the cab. He has to, like, crawl out of it. And it's like, gas, I gotta get help. Because uh, no cell phones in 93. I really wish he would have said, gas, I gotta find a payphone. <laughs> I gotta been, get help. That would have been so perfect. Um, uh, and then Hexus has been released into the woods. Different movie. But same and movie? Basically the same thing. I don't know. I could hear that gas sliding through going, mm, slime. Yeah. Me. Mm. I would believe that Hexus exists like between the scenes that we as the audience are allowed to view. So, but they still should have gotten Tim Curry to voice the gas. Mm -hmm. Though, except. Yes, 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 yes. No, because. Uh, I'm gas. Because Ferngully is pretty explicitly set in Australia, and this is set in Wales. <laughs> Yes, except no one has a Welsh anywhere. accent. They can travel anywhere, though. Okay, it is something that I didn't remember from childhood, probably because I couldn't read that well uh, at the time that I watched this. Uh, this is based off of a Welsh story. Mm. Um, so says the opening credits. So says the opening credits, but you wouldn't know it where they are, except for no, no, no one has a Welsh accent. You're right. No, it's nobody. Very, very random. The only person who doesn't have an explicitly American dialect is Cornelius, and mm -hmm. it's because it's Michael Crawford. Yeah, that's true. Um, he's he's British for some reason. Kind of, sort of. He's Michael Crawford. Yeah, he's Michael Crawford. He's, he's the, phantom voice. He, he's the dialect of Michael Crawford. He's <laughs> <laughs> a dialect in and of himself. <laughs> Um, uh, but yes, so the gas escapes. And it basically kills everything in its wake. Um, like, flowers are wilting on, on their stalks. Uh, 
Cornelius is in the middle of chastising his students, being like, "You are you are the worst group of students I've ever had." He's he's basically Wait. doing the drill sergeant thing. Yeah, you and have got to be the worst group of students I have ever seen. And then he realizes, wait, the forest is too quiet. Something is terribly wrong. We Madness must, here. we must go back to where it's deadly quiet. Mm-hmm. And uh, they discover the aftermath of the gas. For some reason, they go straight to Michelle's parents' house. Well, 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 yeah. Well, doesn't Michelle kind of start running off towards there? I guess that's true. And they have to follow I guess her. they go into, like, their village. Yeah. And then Michelle is like, where's my mama and papa? And uh, thus begins the inciting incident of this film. Mm-hmm. Where we see Michelle's dead parents just slumped over a table. Yeah, no, there's no... They're not in a shadow. It's not obscured. It's not just a hand. No, these are just full-on dead bodies in the darkest version of Wind in the Willows I have ever seen. Yeah. Um, But like, how are... I guess it makes enough sense within the logic of the film that like, so long as you are outside, the gas has dissipated because of the airflow. If you're inside, the gas gets trapped in there. It has nowhere else to go. So what you're saying is if they had had AC, they would have been safe. Maybe. Or if they had opened a window. If they had just had some fans going or something. Maybe. Um, Come on. Guys, get it together. The gas is still, like, pooled down in their home, and Abigail is like, wait a minute, I gotta get Michelle. I can't wait for you, Cornelius, to think of an answer. Our friend is dying, and our friend will be in a state of almost dying for the rest of this movie. Um, Just, she holds her breath covers her mouth and nose, and drags Michelle out past, I repeat, the corpses of her parents But fortunately for Michelle, she's only mostly dead. Yes. So that's good. All dead, you can only go through their pockets and look for loose change. Which they do try to do at one point, and they have to go like, yes, stop it. Um, would you like to continue? So they get Michelle out of there, take her back, to which Cornelius is like, diagnosis, not good prognosis even worse and here's the problem she's gonna die and now i will send you young children out on this mission you must collect these herbs and you must do it now and you have to get back before the moon is full in two days in two days or else she's gonna die um okay good luck get some sleep you you have uh Briefly skipped over uh, the flashback to when Cornelius was a furling. Oh, yeah. And he's talking about, like, it's basically his first encounter with humans. Um, He and his little badger family, it's him and who I presume is his younger sister, are sitting around a Christmas tree? I didn't realize that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had made it to the badger community, but uh, who knows? (laughs) Well, maybe it was badger Jesus. We don't know. Maybe they, maybe they had a little, like, badger crucifix in the corner. I, di- I didn't bother to look. Um, but anyway, there's uh, there are humans outside, and Cornelius and his sister escape out the front door before these evil humans can put a... what looks to be like a bear trap in front of the door. Uh, and we assume that their parents have died. Um, but hence the the 
the quote of mine that James came in with at the top of this section, Cornelius, who like appears very old, he walks with a cane, he's a little bit grizzled. He's like, you know, many years ago when I was a furling, I'm like, I don't know how long badgers live, but this may be like five years ago. <laughs> a whole five years ago. Back you in my day. not even know. There hasn't been humans in this woods in twenty in five years. In twenty, thirty, forty, only a few years. Well, maybe I overestimated. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yes, he he sends our our precocious also, kids it, on their way. And it does give you a little bit of like eeriness of like he has this flashback with his younger sister, who you just saw dead. By yes. the way, yeah, it that is, took me a second to figure out. I was like, yeah, Whoa. no, it's like his sister is dead. <laughs> Which will lead me to something later. I'll I I did think it was like a nice uh, touch within this of you know apart from just being so fucking sad, but like his fascination with flight has existed from a, a young age because mm. he has a stuff like bird. He has yeah. like a, a a a plushy like bird that now sits on one of his shelves. And maybe that's why he wanted to become, that's why he became a tinkerer and was always interested mm-hmm. in flight, was because maybe if he was tinkering, he could figure something out, he could save others because he couldn't save his parents. Mm-hmm. Probably. Is this, Which, is Cornelius Batman? <laughs> I mean, I will jump ahead and say, like, you know, when all our heroes come back at the end and it's all fine, I'm waiting for the moment where Cornelius goes to his sister's grave and leaves the stuffed bird with her. That's too sad. But I'm just saying, dramatically, it'd be amazing. It was just like... Sure. And it just has like a moment of like, I'm sorry, but now, but you, I will but raise, now you can fly. But I will raise your daughters if she was my own. And now you can fly away and be free. Um, too dark? Too much? They head off on their adventure. And this is... Actually, before they head off, they're packing to go. And... <laughs> We get the first of many moments in which I came to realize that this is Edgar's movie. Edgar! Edgar is the MVP, and I think it is his story, because he honestly, he gets the best arc out of any of the characters. He really does. The other two don't get much of an arc at all. No. And he's like, hey, you know, what if we brought this? And he holds up a uh, a magnifying glass, and Abigail's like, oh, Edgar. But then she considers it. And then she pockets it without, like, thanking him or acknowledging, like, actually, wait, that's a good idea. Thank you so much. Because it's the two cool kids that are just taking advantage of the nerd. Yeah. And, uh... Oh, also, Russell is, like, packing a full bushel of food, and she's like... We need something useful. Food is useful. You need food. What are you talking about? Yeah, but, like... Who put you in charge? I... I really... I... This movie started off in a good enough way that I thought we would make it through to the end without any fat jokes, but ha ha ha, jokes on me. I forgot that this was from 1993. To be fair, it's only one, and it's pretty it's kind mild. Of, it's two. What's the other one? Or it's not really a joke, but... So the first one is like, yeah, Russell, you've always been good at finding food. And it's then It's kind when of a backhanded thing. It's like, okay. When on. they're trying to um, get into the sewer grate to escape from the construction um, cranes. And it's like, suck in your stomach. And like, it, it's not a joke, but it's like, oh no, they can't fit through the bars because Russell's too fat. 
Well, I, 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 didn't, I don't think that was so much of like a criticism of like, you're fat, you dummy. Um, it was like more like a, it was more of an element, like an element to build the drama of. It's like, you know, trying to get in the thing and it's like, oh no, we're stuck. I have to get in. And it's just, a, it's later, a thing to like, build suspense. Um, I guess it's kind of like under the cover of, oh, it's the racist squirrel who's saying well, this, but it's the, like. Well, well, we got it. We, we got, we'll, we'll wait like, on that one. Always like good at stuffing his mouth well, rather than blah blah well, blah blah well, let, let, let's hold on that there's a whole lot to unpack in that scene by all, itself all this to say when you're going on a journey bringing food is useful abigail uh, honestly there was really only one moment that felt unnecessary and that was you know the kind of backhanded like you know oh you've always been good at finding food which is a little like okay come on like mm-hmm. that's a little but also we've established that abigail is kind of a bully yeah um, oh, we totally skipped over Michael Crawford's song, which I completely forgot about. Which I did read about how, because one, well, it's Michael Crawford, so we had to give him a song. This is not a musical, exactly. No, there are two songs, and they were given to, you said that, uh, like, they were both Broadway, or well, like, yeah, musical. Well, yeah, one's given to Michael Crawford, and one's given to Ben Vereen, and mm-hmm. we'll get to him later. Oh, boy. Um, but, yeah, so you've got, Michael Crawford has this song, which is, like, you know, a very lovely, very sad song where he's mm-hmm. singing to Michelle, and to which I did read something in the trivia about how, like, Michael Crawford talked about how much he hated recording that because it was so hard for him to get through without, like, just, like, breaking down, essentially. Yeah. Which I was like, I can understand. Like, when it's like, what's the context? Oh, you're singing to your dying niece. It's like, whoa. Yeah. And it, like, it is a lovely yeah. sentiment. The, the song itself is kind of <laughs> it's, whatever. It's, it's, it's whatever, yeah. But it is a lovely sentiment of, like, all about how Michelle is in the morning of her life. Uh, and, like, please wake up and... <laughs> I am in the evening of my life... Uh, what is it? All I have is night, to which we both looked at each other and said, do you mean the music of the night? And all I have is night. Damn you. No. Um, for any of you people out there who aren't familiar, Michael Crawford is most famously known for, for being the Phantom of the Opera. For originating And originating Phantom, Phantom, of, the Phantom of the Opera and playing it for many years mm-hmm. on Broadway. Um, but yeah, the, the music of the night, it is night and he is singing music. Uh, and then he sends our plucky band of, of heroes on their way. And on their way, uh-huh, 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 yeah, and they go on their way. Yes. And to which we get to this moment that I kind of remembered... But you remembered much more clearly. Um, scary owl. Yes. So, essentially, uh, Cornelius has given them a map that will take them to the edge of their forest. And beyond that, they're on their own. And it seems like the edge of their forest is this, to them, barren wasteland with a single tree standing at the center. And in in this tree lives like a half-blind owl because one of its eyes has been, like, scratched and is sort of cloudy, and uh, Abigail almost gets eaten. Yeah, she pretty much is like, let's just run out to that tree, to which Edgar's like, maybe that's not a good idea. Guess what happens? The owl attacks them. She almost gets killed and only escapes. Why? Because she uses the magnifying glass that she scoffed at Edgar for suggesting they bring, and she basically, she this is actually like a pretty cool trick. Uh, she holds it up to her, you know, vicious mouse teeth, 
and like gnashes her teeth at this owl and the owl freaks out and she falls out of uh the the nest um while russell and edgar are climbing up the tree to which we get a very clever line from russell at that point where edgar's like we're gonna climb it and russell's like well we can't dig our way up this is one of those moments like okay that was pretty good yeah uh and yep she falls hits them they run the rest of the way across this empty wasteland um they they hide edgar like digs into the ground and in so doing temporarily blinds the owl with dirt in its eyes and the owl flies away again another clutch move the albeit unintentional by edgar to which then we get the first moment of like edgar really taking charge which we're like good you should he rips into abigail for good reason honestly i do like that scene because abigail realizes how badly to her she's credit, up to her credit and she yes. says sorry and then they don't harp on about it it's just like yeah i think edgar literally says well now that that's settled it's what do we do it's remarkably mature for these children characters for these i'm like hooligans. And these hooligans i really wish that more adults i knew could settle their problems that quickly yeah you've apologized i've accepted the apology All we're right. still fucked <laughs> well let's go to bed yep to which they all go to sleep together. But not for very long. No, because, because they are awoken by what? A funeral procession. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remembered this. You only kind of did. Would you like to describe the next scene? So we get a funeral procession done in full. Um, I've only ever seen this done in New Orleans. I don't know if it's like done in other places, but it's like the kind of like the drum going through the street and people kind of chanting going through and you're like this seems like a very solemn thing it looks like they're going to a funeral and they're like well let's follow them and see what's going on and they get and they're all and they're all birds by the way they're all birds and they go into this little a flock, clearing if you will a flock why a flock because they all go to the congregation of other birds led by preacher bird ben vereen coming out doing the whole james brown from blues brothers bit you know just like Raise the Lord. And it's just, he comes out and he's doing his thing. And it's, you got Ben Vereen once again. So you know he's going to just like go. He's going to reach the back of that house. Yeah. And, it, and it boy, is does he. It is, in fact, a funeral procession um, to which Russell is a bit slow on the uptake. <laughs> this line might be my favorite line Edgar, of the whole movie. Edgar turns to Russell because Russell has said something insensitive. Oh, yeah. I, 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 oh, yeah. Because, like, because like because the, the preacher bird, Ben Vereen bird, is just going on of, like, something. And he's like, what's he squawking about? To which Edgar says, shh, someone died. Oh. <laughs> it's just so funny. And he just takes his little cap off and is like, show some fucking respect, you stupid fucking Russell. Jesus, dude. Except. They're except, not dead. He's only mostly dead. Um, There's a lot of mostly dead. There or is. almost Sur- dead Surprisingly. People. Um, you get one of the best reveals of what you think is a funeral to which then they all clear and you see it's this baby bird who's just stuck in the mud sinking slowly like in the la brea tar pits and it's just like you know well he's not dead but he is going to die because we and can't you, get him out and they just flash out and it's just this little like this little bird with glasses like bye mother she's like oh Bo- bosworth? bosworth bosworth no and you're like oh 
this is this is this this poor this poor child isn't even dead yet and you're like well they've already jumped ahead and but then no edgar why? is here to save the day again um because he's, he's like hey i i actually paid attention in Cornelius's classes, so I know how to make like a lever system to like pop this little bird out of this muck from the. Uh, they also mention that he does it have is, a moment where he's like brothers and sisters. It's like Edgar, you can't say that. No, 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 stop no. that. Stop, uh-huh. stop doing that. You are, you are, no, no that, Edgar, that's not stop. for you, Edgar. No, no, Edgar, you're gonna get canceled so fast. No, that's don't not do for that. You. Uh, I think they'll forgive you because you do save this little baby you bird. You do, you do. Um, eh. However, you're very no. young. You'll learn. Um, you're very young, privileged white mole. <laughs> um, but yeah, because Edgar's the only one who actually pays attention on the rambles, uh, he creates this schematic for this little lever system that uh, helps Bosworth uh, you know, escape from the muck, uh, which has been caused because of the, quote, yellow dragons, which we will get to literally in the next uh, mm-hmm. action sequence, um, which are construction, um, like, cranes and bulldozers uh, that have drained the bird's marsh. And there's just the La Brea tar pits left. <laughs> but this all leads into a big number that they have of, like, you know, he lives! And they have their thing. And both Russell and Abigail look very confused with this whole thing. But Edgar is fucking jamming. Edgar's into Edgar, Edgar's just like, yeah, all Edgar right. Edgar comes into his own so much in this movie. Ed, Edgar's like, it, it, it's like a, yeah, Ed, Edgar's like a college student who's like now like gone somewhere and heard like music and met people he's never met before. And he's like, oh, this is so cool. Wait, this is what life can be like? And also he's like met people who appreciate him for his talents and his skills. Edgar and also like he literally saved our child. Edgar was essentially raised as like a small, like scared Catholic child and has now gone to a Baptist church for the first time and is like, oh, this is so much better. This is what religion can be like. It's he, so much more energetic. And they get, they get through their thing. They I get can to say the that because I'm, well, I'm not Catholic. I was raised Catholic. They get to the end, and Ben Vereen Bird is like, who honestly, I could watch a whole movie with just this congregation. That was fascinating. <laughs> to which I also did ask the question, though, when is they... Is the song here? Well, no. And I, I, yeah, well, because they have Ben Vereen, so they have to have the song there. But um, I, it made me wonder when they had this congregation, which seems like they've done this before, and I was like, how many non-funerals have they had where this has happened? Where it's like they've had to sit, they've had to sit there while someone is slowly dying in front of them, and I was like, "That is dark." And this is the first time that they've ever had this miracle. So, like, yay, Nick! Now they know. Mm-hmm. But like, how long did it take them to get to that point? That that scares me. I don't know. This movie literally showed us the the corpses of one of our main characters' parents. But so. I want to know about the Benvering con- Bird congregation. How many children had to die? How many children had to die, Benvering Bird, before you went and discovered science? <laughs> you tell me right now. But he's like, you should stay and party with us. And they're like, nah, we got to go. And he's like, well... You go through the land of the yellow Wait, dragons, so, but I will not go there. So you know how we saved a, a child in your flock? We have to save another child. Remember, our friend is dying. Um, oh, we yeah. gotta go. Da, 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 da. Um, but yeah. Um, so they. Uh, fin- so, Phineas, I believe, is the character's name, who is Ben yes. Um I want the Phineas spinoff. Uh, he, I want Disney Plus to do he, a Phineas spinoff. He series. points them to the closest meadow, which 
the fastest way to get there is through the land of the yellow dragons, which is a construction site. Very clever. Um, Can you tell us about this construction site, Nicole? Um, it's a construction site, and it is very scary for these tiny little animal babies. Um, chaos ensues. They almost get buried alive in the dirt. Though, again, Edgar would be fine, because he's a mole, and he could just dig his way out. Um, and he would totally leave those two dead asses. <laughs> You're just dead weight. You're holding me back. I'm going to go save Michelle by myself. Um, since you won't do it. There's this extended sequence of them running from the various cranes and bulldozers, so much peril. Um, And eventually they scurry into like a newly created sewage pipe, uh, which is where we get the like, Russell, suck in your stomach, wiggle, wiggle through it. Um, But then they get washed away conveniently so into the meadow that they were looking for well, first they have to run to the top of the hill which they don't even and look not look over. at it and it's like well there's nothing here maybe i should turn around and look at the thing that i ran up to the top of that's overlooking something they literally run up to the top of this hill and avert their eyes for another moment or two to extend the, the moment of the dramatic reveal and what's the dramatic reveal? We found the meadow. Hey, look, there's all of these flowers that we need. All we have to go is get these flowers and herbs, and then we'll go back and we can save Michelle, right? In a day, because we have to be back by tonight. Y'all, remember our friend is dying. However, this seemingly beautiful meadow is the site of a very vicious race war. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Um. Yeah, we meet... What was his name? Wags? Wags, the Wa- racist squirrel. Wags, the racist squirrel, who's just like... <laughs> I didn't think I'd be saying that tonight. <laughs> uh, who has a problem with mice, who has a problem with moles, who has a problem with badgers, who has a problem with hedgehogs. He has a problem with basically everybody who isn't a squirrel. Um, and he's, he, he's, a, he's a very MAGA squirrel when you think about it. Yeah, he would definitely be wearing a, a red MAGA hat. He was there on January 6th, yes. we know. He was, uh, he was storming the Capitol. He was probably one of the guys they took pictures of in there. Yeah, yeah. I was like, um, All this to say... All this to say, um, they're able to collect one of the plants that they need, but uh, the other one, which I think is what will actually, like save Michelle because there's one that will negate the effects of the poison like within her body and then there's one that will like help heal her eyes because her uh, her eyes are damaged as well um and of course the one that's like the the antidote basically is like hi 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 up on a on a cliff no one's ever gotten it oh you dumb kids well, that's, uh, well, won't be able to get up there. Well, that's where we get the line that you mentioned earlier, if you want to re-mention that now, where it was like, you know, but I but I would agree that, like, yes, he taunts Russell the Hedgehog with a pretty insensitive thing, but that's also because he's a racist squirrel. Yeah. Um, We're not supposed to it, like it. It's not a good look in either case, um, but uh, the the piece of, like, parchment that Russell had packed all of their snacks in turns out to be the schematic for the flapper wingamathing the full-sized flapper wingamathing and the kids are like hey you know what 
we can uh, we can build this thing that our mentor has spent his entire life developing. We all, can build this in an afternoon. All six years of his life. All six years of his life. Um, and uh, um, they they build it. Somehow, and it works perfectly. Which is somehow like you know this gifted young child we know as Edgar and two dead asses somehow managed to make this is anyone's guess, but like, they do it. But like they're, I don't know. I feel like they're good at the the physical labor. Well, part. Russell has muscle, and Abigail can boss people around. So I guess they have that going for him. Yeah, Russell's like yeah, Russell is muscular. Like he he is like a, a heftier young young hedgehog you know hedgehogs with those muscles they have <laughs> but uh and also abigail just has like so much energy and spunk she carries all of the heavy stuff with her spunk yeah it's true that was that that, that was the character trade for everyone in the 90s where it was like she's gotta have spunk um but they build this thing and again it works perfectly mm-hmm. um i take that as a testament to cornelius's uh education that they never pay attention to that they never pay edgar pays attention once again, Edgar's saving the day. Edgar saves the day. This thing is cranked by a crank in the back that, unless they put it on Glide, where they don't have to crank, is the thing that keeps the wings flapping, which until they went to Glide was like, oof, well, if you stop pedaling, mm-hmm. you'll die. Um, long story short, after more peril up in the uh, in the flapper wing of a thing, they get the flower. After Russell pulls off some impressive like plane maneuvers like out of a dive, it's very much like... This came out before Goldeneye, I think, and yet he's pulling off a total like opening scene Goldeneye flame maneuver. <laughs> I was like, wow. Um, but yeah, Abigail has to like climb up onto the wing. She falls off of the flapper wing of a thing. She like Russell in that nosedive like manages to catch her on the plane. Edgar it, has like, to it climb turns up into on top. Yeah, like, it's this whole thing, and they think that all hope is lost. They they can't find the flower, but oh look. They rammed it into the cliff and the flower that they need, the one single flower that seems to exist of this species in all of their immediate habitat has been caught on the end of their wing. Great. We're going to grab it and we can finally go home. Oh. Thank God we made this flying machine because we need to get back there tonight and it is like sundown. Oh, wait. Oh, hold on. We do have to talk very briefly about, I don't even, what's his name? Willie? I think they say his name once. What? It's like Willie the mouse. It's like oh. the mouse that wags is like Oh, the one who, who uh, he and Abigail get super Twitter-pated? It's, it's one of those moments of like, you know, like she thinks she's saving him and then, you know, he's kind of upset and it's the whole like, hey, what do you think you're doing? Oh. oh. They're Hi. Oh, in a, in a different cartoon their eyes would turn to hearts. They yeah. don't in this, but, like, it's the same feel. But you're right. It's the Twitter painted. It's like, yeah. this is where Thumper starts going, ah. like, it's just like, they, it, and it's it's so random because, once again, this character has that one moment. We don't really see him much after it. We don't see him for the rest of the movie. No. This was not, you did not need this moment at all. No. But this is just a moment where, like, it's supposed to be them going, oh, hi there. Okay, what's your name? thing anywho doesn't matter i just had to mention that weird moment um sorry i this is this is in regards to them flying back to dapplewood i glanced at my notes and my notes for this are they can't breathe up there so when they take off from this meadow they go up so high into the clouds that you're like yeah they 
cannot breathe. They are flying. Is there amongst, air? You don't know. They're flying amongst a storm that rolls in. So they are like in amongst the thunder and lightning that, of course, hits their um, or like, I don't know if it actually hits them, but it definitely steers them off course because they then run into a power line. Somehow none of them die. And then they crash land exactly where they need to be because the budget is tight and we have to wrap the this up. The movie's wrapping up, but how, but how do they know it's where they need to be? Because uh, we need to flash back to the ramble from the beginning of the movie. Uh, when, uh, uh, when Edgar answers correctly that, oh, willow bark can help rheumatism. Um, rheumatism? Cornelius gives a very oddly shaped... It looks kind of like a Y a piece of the willow bark to Edgar. And he very, very carefully puts it in his pocket and then pats it so that you know it's going to be important later. And guess what? Because <laughs> he pats it. <laughs> I have patted the bark to show and you guess it is what? important. It is because they crash land so conveniently at the base of this tree because... Edgar sees, again, Edgar, MVP of this film, sees the missing Y in the bark and is like, hey, we're home. We made it. We got to get there. Maybe it's because they had a parking spot. We don't know. <laughs> um, yes, okay. they run in and they find Michelle and Cornelius and it's like, oh, we're running out of time. We need to do this now. We, we, we must save her. However, they get delayed because a light flashes in because man has re-entered the picture. There are humans. Humans are afoot. here. No. They must get somewhere where it's safe. And uh, these humans, we as the audience know that they're in like hazmat gear. Which uh, is any human in hazmat gear is terrifying. Yep. Um, and they're like, hey, we can escape out the back. Um, okay, we got to make a run for it because there are humans everywhere. Uh, Edgar, again, this is Edgar's movie. Uh, he gets like caught on a branch and like his glasses get knocked off, his clothes get knocked off. And um, we didn't mention this earlier, but there was a trap, an animal trap nearby Cornelius's residence. And it was just a, hey, you cannot run that way, Michelle. I'll explain why when you're older. But not today. Um, and Edgar runs into this trap. And it's very disturbing. Because he's this naked little mole. Not a naked mole rat. But, but he's a naked a, but, little but he's mole. A, but, but he's a naked mole. We've already established that we like Edgar. And, and Edgar's we, and we the, the most timid out of all of them. Also, just to, free, to, to briefly bounce back to uh, Wags the Racist Squirrel, who is at one point like taunting all of this thing and straight up like insults Michelle to Edgar's face. Mm -hmm. This is Edgar's other big moment of it's like basically like if this wasn't a kid's movie, be like, go fuck yourself. And he like goes off and he's like, we're doing this. We've come too far. Let's go. And it's like, hey, Edgar's like taking taking control. Look yeah. at that, man. Edgar. So we've already seen a lot of like growth out of him. But now he is a little naked mole scurrying around. And he's very scared. And he doesn't, he's not fighting for anybody, which makes total yeah. sense why he rises to the occasion when people are depending on him. But now it's just him and he is naked and afraid. And he, Hey, it's like that show. Yeah. Um, he is naked and afraid and sounding very <laughs> pathetic. And it's very sad. And this person wearing a hazmat suit looms <gasps> over him, breathing through like an oxygen tank. It's as a as a human being, as a grown ass human being, I I would be very scared. And gives you very strong ET vibes of yeah, coming into the house, which freaked me out as a kid. Terrifying. Um, but this person 
grabs Edgar. Oh no, what's he gonna do? And he's he just sets him, him down and is like, "There you go, little buddy." Gives him a little. Pat and on then the he bum. destroys the cage. And Cornelius is like, "Maybe humans aren't all bad." Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> um, and. Uh, they they use the mortar and pestle. Uh, they mashy mashy. They mashy mashy quite good. Um, they they give Michelle the the herbs that she needs, and it's like we'll find out in the morning if it if it worked. And then they have a really unnecessary moment of like, oh no, it didn't work. We failed. But then Michelle wakes up, and every and she is. A-okay. The tears of Cornelius have saved her yet again. Um, yeah, as Cornelius is about to walk off, as he's like, you did your best, it's all right. And he like walks off weeping, carrying the last probably surviving relative he had. It's really quite traumatic. <laughs> but of course she's not dead. And she wakes up and it's all fine. And it's all fine. And then all of the other uh, family members who we yeah. saw at the beginning, like Russell's family back shows in. up, and um, Abigail's dad shows up, and then oof, in that moment. And then uh, Edgar's mom is the last one to arrive. But, but, but even before that, they were coming back, and you have Michelle's like, all the mommies and daddies are coming back. And then Cornelius, and then Cornelius Ooh. realizes I now have to explain what death is. Yikes. Um. And being like, but I, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to try to be as good as your mommy and daddy. It's honestly treated in a very, like, straightforward way. Yeah. That, I, that, that shocked me. I was like, wow, that's like, there's no sugarcoating this. Like, this is like, this is pretty direct. And they handle it really well. We were like, you know, we've already shown their corpses. Yeah. We don't need to linger on this. But to which we get, like, the delay, too. Because they have to do that where it's like, well... I guess that's it. And Edgar, I guess your mom didn't survive. Beep, beep, beep. And then his mom... No, she's okay. His mom appears into the clearing where everybody is gathered. And she's like, Edgar, did you forget your scarf? Because he's been wearing the the very long Dr. Hugh... Uh, Dr. Hugh? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Hugh? Doctor Who. Are you Doctor Who? <laughs> Doctor Who S scarf. And he's like, no, but this is what I forgot. And then he gives her a kiss on the cheek. And then it turns out it was a dream and Edgar is kissing the air and they go, should we tell him? No, we shouldn't. Let's let him dream for um, a little bit longer. Oh. <laughs> so that would be really sad. This is, we're, we're at the end of the movie, but I just saw one of my, my last couple of notes. There are a couple of moments where Cornelius, in like a moment of excitement or, you know, some some heightened emotion, <laughs> says, great honk. Who is this deity to which he is, uh, who is this deity that he's invoking? Is he saying honk or hawk? Honk. Honk. Like, like a goose honking. Maybe he heard a goose honk when he was a Does kid. Does he worship a bird deity? <laughs> Maybe he worships a goose. Maybe. Maybe. It's Maybe possible. he's in love with birds. Maybe he worships the same. Well, what 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 does Ben Vereen bird worship? Jesus, Jesus bird. Uh, Jesus bird. Badger Jesus. This is going with the badger Jesus. But How many no. versions of Jesus are there? Is there a different version of Jesus for every species? Maybe badger Jesus honked. We don't know. Maybe I don't know. Unless this is goose Jesus. Totally different Jesus. Different Jesus. So yeah, badger Jesus and goose Jesus, and then Ben Vereen bird who worshipped. Maybe Goose Jesus? Maybe, maybe not? 
We don't know. <laughs> Maybe magpie Jesus? <laughs> There's a Jesus for every species in the animal kingdom. The owl that attacked them was actually owl Jesus. <laughs> anyway, that's once upon a Because we know the squirrels don't have a Jesus because they're <laughs> a bunch of fucking assholes. They're a bunch of heathens. Bunch of hooligans and heathens. And... No, they're uh, American Christians. Oh, yeah. No, they're they... the American right-wing Christianity. Oh, yeah. They're, they're the evangelicals. Yes. You're right. Um, that's who they are. <laughs> so, really, Once Upon a Forest is just an, indi- an indictment of Christ- Christianity as a whole. Uh, that's <laughs> there... Once Upon a Forest. <laughs> there you have it, folks. That's Once Upon a Forest. <laughs> Oh, oh, boy. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> shall we do a recap of what worked and what did not work for us in this film? Would you like to start us off? No, you start. Okay. Uh, what worked, what didn't work. Um, so, I think what worked for me was I thought the voice acting overall was ranged from being really good to solid you know some stuff was kind of like whatever but like it, i don't think anything stuck out as particularly bad um you know you've got michael crawford and ben vereen doing their their thing and you know they obviously have the most experience and theatricality behind them but you know they're, they're doing a great job with that the kids are all very you know spunky and precocious and bet they do a good job with that you know including not, you know, not not to mention Elizabeth Moss is in that cast. Not too bad. Um, trying to think. Uh, yeah, the story overall, like, relatively straightforward. Nothing we haven't seen before. It's imbued with a lot of humor and jokes that are, like, the gravity joke and other things that, like, feel a bit more clever than you would expect. Uh, it's the 90s, so when they go dark, they go dark. And I forgot how dark this movie could get, uh, particularly with the deaths of her parents just showing it that directly was pretty strong um some you know the hairy moments near the end and the cage all like very powerful particularly like yeah like using that with the sound effects of just like there's nothing they're not trying to make the humans scarier than they are because they don't have to but it's literally like the only sound you would hear would just be like the very deep like (sighs) like it's a horrifying sound even when it's not meant to be horrifying so like that was very clever um yeah like there were like yeah like i said like you know along with like the death of the parents him dealing with like telling her the death of her parents at the end in a very straightforward honest heartbreaking way was done very well uh yeah there were a lot of really surprising elements in in, like the soundtrack like i mentioned that i feel kind of elevated it um overall yeah i mean it is but it is what you would expect it's a movie aimed at a younger audience that doesn't detract from it it's but you know it's very much it's is more for the kids and the adults get a couple of things on there but it's really mostly aimed at the kids and yeah the story is kind of kind of ambles on and does its thing and i don't know it's it's fine for what it is i feel it's elevated like i said with the things i said before it's like if you didn't have those elements it would be pretty forgettable straight to video thing that no one would talk about now the only reason it's held up this long is because specifically the music, the vocal performances, um, some of the storytelling, I feel, does does put it a notch above there. Maybe not up to the level of some other stuff at that time. Not 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 of like, you know, a gold standard of some of the other material that was going darker 
in ways that they could but still be accessible to kids but it's like definitely like a solid try at it so yeah i'd say that's my major takeaway yeah minor a lot of the same things that you just said um i also think that uh and this comes down to both the writing and the voice acting i feel like for a film whose three leads are a bunch of precocious young kids like very young kids they didn't grade on me in the way that I was kind of bracing for. And I feel like that's a testament to the writing, which again is like, it's a very simple story, but I think that it's handled in a way that is both clearly aimed at kids, but Mm -hmm. isn't dumbing down anything or isn't talking down to kids, which I I think I I really appreciated. I I don't mean to interrupt your, your takeaway from this, but yeah, on that though, it's that, the, they also just, they act like kids. Yeah. They're precocious. They're kind of annoying. They're kind of irritating. They get into trouble, but then they feel bad about it. It's like, but they never grate on you, but they also, they're not like too smart for their own good where it's like, or yeah. too precocious. Like they are just like, you know, kids who do dumb shit. Yeah. Which was refreshing. Sorry. Um, what I'm trying to think of things to add that you didn't already cover. Um, I think, like, overall, I I feel like this movie achieves what it's set out to be. Yeah. Which is, like, uh, I can't really critique it. I, I will say that the Michael Crawford song to Michelle, while, like, the intention is sweet, I think it goes on for too long. And it's, it, it's it, kind of boring it, after it, a while. It definitely feels like, we got Michael Crawford and Ben Vereen. We have to give them songs, which is like, yeah. which isn't where you want to be in a I, movie like this because you could take it out and it wouldn't matter. No, I honestly, but the two songs in this film, I could have done without. I would pick the like the birds mm-hmm. song, even it though did, it doesn't. It, it didn't have to go on for. It as does long not as it did. move the plot along at all it's just like hey it goes on for about a minute too long you're like okay i get it this movie is an hour and 10 minutes a minute is a long part of the of the runtime um yeah it's those little things like i understand needing a moment of like levity and joy in the midst of what is otherwise like a pretty dire story um especially for for a young audience uh, which is the intended demographic for this um but yeah, you you covered most of my my pluses and minuses to this. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, sorry. Oh, no, I mean I I'm trying to avoid repeating ourselves on the show, so I'm gonna leave it at that. But if there's anything you wanted to like, really like, you know, punch in or like something, no. No, I mean those those were the main things uh, that I wanted to. All right. Add, so. Well, then shall we move on to? Revised grades? Yeah. Um, what did I start with? I started at a B. I think I'm going to bump this up ever so slightly to a B plus. And again, it is because I think that the movie set out with a goal in mind for what it wanted to achieve. And I think it succeeded mm-hmm. at being that movie. At being that movie? Uh, and I think that the environmental messages uh they're very subtle like it's not beating you over the head with it in the way that like um Ferngully did <laughs> um where it's 
by presenting the story from the perspective of these young kids, you know, in, in this natural environment and like just just showing the devastation of of human activity on their environments, I think that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, killing off some of their parents uh, certainly does a lot. Um, I think that, always do the trick. Yeah, I think that it's handled really well without like being preachy. Um, which elevates it ever so slightly. Um, it is definitely for kids. I don't need to rewatch this. Agreed. Um, I started a B minus. I'll up it to a B. Um, yeah, a lot of things you said. It's a movie that knows what it is. It's for kids. It wants to be a kids movie, and it does that. Um, I don't need to rewatch it anytime soon. But that doesn't mean that, like, if I knew, like, a family with kids and they were looking at movies and I saw that, I'd be like, you know, hey, Maybe I should show them that. That might be kind of cool. They might enjoy it. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be averse to it at all. Uh, yeah, I think that, like I said, it's a step above some other like straight to video fare that like wouldn't do it. Partially with the environmental message and some of the more technical elements that help elevate it up to there. That being said, yeah, it's not in the league of. Uh, it's I mean, just because we've been mentioning it a lot. I would say that like. Yes, a fern gully does beat you over the head with it more in a way, and it is more um the message is much more like present about what they're talking about. But also I made the argument in Fern Gully that I don't think that it's preachy. I think that it's just trying to basically like wake you into mm-hmm. a sense of it's like you better do something about this. And they do not shy away in that movie about being about like, if you don't do something about this, you're gonna get fucked later, which heck, look where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, whereas I, this movie is like it's Fern Gully light. It's like we'll talk about it and we'll mention it, but we don't want to go that far with it. Yeah, it, sorry to interrupt, but I feel like Once Upon a Forest is a better structured film. Fern Gully has more important things to say. See, I don't know if I would. I I guess overall structure maybe, but Fern Gully also felt much deeper and had more things going for it. There was a much fuller story there. Sure. I mean, there there are pros and cons to both, but I, I I feel like they they exist kind of in the same conversation. This this one feels like it's for a younger audience. I feel you start off with this one for the younger kids, and then you move up to Ferngully. Maybe when they're a couple years older. Maybe. Like I don't know. Ferngully felt a lot more or a lot older, given the song "Toxic Love." <laughs> yeah, well, that's a different matter entirely. But like, I guess it comes down to I would watch Ferngully again. I would not watch this again necessarily. Yeah. Like. That's fair. So, yeah, that being said, but, you know, once again, no critiques on what it is trying to be because it is purely what it is, which is a kid's movie. So it's kind of landed to be for me. Cool. Um, there you have it, folks. Um, I think it's safe to say if you have children in your life and remember this from your childhood. Put this on. Absolutely put this on. Yeah. Um, it's like it has <laughs> just enough, like, 90s scarring traumatic elements to teach them a thing or two about life. But... Sells a lot of cute critters doing cute things. Yeah, maybe uh, gauge your child's maturity level because, again, you see corpses. They look like they're sleeping, but they are very dead. They are so dead. The reality of it is quite terrifying. That whole scene is quite harrowing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Approach with caution. But, uh... I think it's getting to be much like approaching that, that time. Approach with calm. <laughs> but I think it's getting to be that time in the episode. Um, if you have been enjoying this episode, if you have enjoyed the show as a whole, please consider leaving a 
rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast. We'd really appreciate it. Five stars would be awesome. And if it's anything less than five stars, maybe keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Find something else to listen to. Um, If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter and Instagram at WhatAMoviePod on both of those platforms. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoleKnutson16. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the real Jay Ferrero. That's real with two E's, like a film reel, and Ferrero like Ferrero Rocher. And we hope you're enjoying our 90s weird animation month. We will be switching gears in our next episode as we leave the woods and the forest of Dapplewood to go to the bright lights of the city that we know quite well, Hollywood. <laughs> Be um, ready. Um, but in the meantime, it is nighttime for us. So good night, or good day, or good morning, whenever you're listening to this. I'm James Ferrero. And I'm Nicole Knudsen. And watch what a, a movie. These <laughs> problems of the night. Music of the night. I will turn this podcast around unless you take this ramble seriously.